I don't have a specific text today. We're going to be flipping through, but I want to I want to talk about Christ's second coming with you today, and I want you I want you to find comfort in His coming. That's the title of the message: Comfort in His Coming. Hold on, I'll make sure I got some some technology right going here. Okay, so comfort in His coming. Because as believers, we should find comfort in the second coming of Jesus Christ, as we will as we will talk about as we go throughout this message. Um, but that's really immediately whenever I thought about um, when it was decided between us elders who was gonna who was gonna uh, who was gonna preach to you guys this time, and when we decided that I would do it, this is I think immediately what what the Lord put in my heart. Um, to, to give to you guys tonight. So, if you have your Bible, uh, we'll start out in John chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. I want to look at a, a couple verses here. <clears throat> Looking at, We're going to be reminded of Christ's first coming. Now, the message is going to center on His second coming, but we're going to look at, just be reminded of, of His first coming in John 3, 16 and 17 with His conversation with Nicodemus, the religious leader, the Pharisee of the day, he says this in John 3.16, I think we all probably know this verse, but he says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be Saved through Him. And so we know that. We know that, uh, brothers and sisters, that His first coming, He came to save. Amen? I mean, that's why Christ came. He came the first time as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And so we need to remember that. We need to remember that the first time He came, He came as the suffering servant. He taught us how to suffer. He taught us how to serve. He came not to be served, but to serve. And the way He demonstrated that most of all, right, was to give His life as a ransom for many. That's why He came the first time. And, and that is why we preach the Gospel to the lost, do we not? That's why we preach. Because He came to save. And so we have a, we have a message to proclaim to this world that Christ came to save sinners. And so we don't need to forget that. Because that's that's the message we preach. That's that's what we want to communicate. That 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 Christ first coming, he came to rescue sinners from the wrath of God. But and so what one what we want to talk about this evening, or, or I'm sorry, this morning in, in Taiwan, he will come back. He will come back, but he's not going to come back as the as the gentle lamb. Okay, he 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 came as the as the lamb, the the gentle lamb. But when he comes back, as as described in Revelation five, he's coming back as the the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back as a, in other words, instead of a gentle lamb, he's coming back as a ferocious lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 19 and we can see real quickly really what that looks like that 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 language of, of coming back as a lion 
we, we really get a picture of what that's going to look like in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. And it, it says this, uh, Revelation 19, 11 through 16. John says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. This is that lion language. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he might strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that gives us a, a visual, a description of, of what it's like when he's going to come back as, as a lion. He's going to, in other words, Christ came back, or Christ came the first time that we tell people, right? We, we, we tell people to, to come to Jesus Christ and he can be your Savior. But if you wait until that day, he's not going to be your Savior. He's going to be the judge. And, that, and that's the language we see. He's coming back as the judge. He's coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But again, even when we think about a second coming, I tried to find this quote and I couldn't find it, but I remember Spurgeon said in a quote that I read years ago that, uh, that we really need to remember when, when we're preaching the gospel to the lost to remind them of the second coming of Christ. That He is coming back and He is coming back to wage war on His enemies. And so if you're not in Christ, the Bible says you're still an enemy of God. But again, this is why we preach both that Christ came to save and that He's coming to judge. And so, He can save you now. The reason He came the first time was to save sinners. And so, now, we're not going to go through the book of Revelation. This is just a, a one-time look, broadly speaking, at just the, the second coming of Christ. But I want to I want to read a verse to you. Um, if you're taking notes, you can jot it down, but it's Revelation 1-3 because I think the promise of this verse can still apply to a message like this because we're, we're talking about his, his, um, his second coming, His parousia in the Greek. His second coming, His appearing. And in Revelation 1-3, the Word of God gives us a promise. And this is what I really, this is the verse that I really think of. When I'm, when I'm thinking of your fellowship in Taiwan, says this, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. In other words, John is telling us right at the beginning of the book of Revelation that those who read this, this prophecy, this book, and understand it, there's a blessing for you. And I believe this is why, guys. I believe that this is what Revelation teaches us. It's this one point. Now, there, there's disagreements on eschatology, but I, I don't even think it matters on the, on the, on the three or four um, 
orthodox views of eschatology, the book of Revelation has this message, and it's this. And this is what I want to try to drive home to you guys today, is that Christ conquers. That's the message of Revelation. It is written to encourage, to strengthen, to comfort the people of God who are under persecution. That was the immediate context. Those people were under tremendous persecution from the different leaders of the day. Whether it be Nero or, 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 or Domitian, however you pronounce his name, he came a little later. But these were wicked rulers. And, and so the, the book of Revelation was written to comfort the believers. Now, no matter how bad it gets, Christ conquers. Christ will avenge you. It's meant to be a, a comfort to those suffering persecution, especially, okay, especially at the hands of a tyrannical government. And beloved, we're well aware. We are well aware you are in our prayers. We are well aware of what you guys could be facing from a tyrannical government in communist China. We don't know what's going to happen. But that's what's on my heart to give you this message today is so that you can be reminded that Christ is our conquering King. That no matter how bad things get on this earth, He is our conquering King. I, I think I'm pronouncing His name right. Xi Jinping. The leader of the Chinese Communist Party. Okay? Is a, is a tyrant. And it's, a, it's an evil communist regime. And so we're, we're praying for you and I'm praying specifically that, that the Lord will, will, will comfort you and encourage you with these words this morning on the Lord's Day that you, can, that you can take with you. And so, please be encouraged, dear church, that this life, and I know you guys know this, this life, it's just a mist. It's just a mist. No matter how good we got it or no matter how bad things could get, it's just a mist. It's, it's, it's a vapor. You, we're here and one day we're going to be in glory. One day we're not going to be doing this over a video. We're going to be, we're going to be at the throne worshiping Jesus Christ together. What a day that will be. Listen to uh, Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time Okay? The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And if we know anything about the Apostle Paul, he is speaking from experience. <clears throat> you can turn over to 2 Corinthians 11 real quick. and be, We can be reminded, when Paul talks about suffering, when Paul says to consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us, it's always good to be reminded, what, what are you talking about, Paul? What kind of sufferings are you talking about? You didn't get the parking place you wanted at Walmart? No, that's not the suffering he's talking about. You didn't get the, you didn't get the uh, raise at work that you were wanting? No. No, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 23-28, because just to, just to understand that 
to hear him say that these sufferings of this present time, they're not even worthy to be compared to what's, what's ahead for us. 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28. He's dealing with false teachers. He's defending his apostleship. And he says this, uh, I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then he ends it with this. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the, not just the church, but church is. And so he says, I consider these sufferings, they're not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Hang on to that, beloved. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. If you go through persecution, hang on to these promises from Scripture. So I would say that the, that, the, that the theme of the message that I want to bring you today is this. That Jesus Christ will return to this earth physically, visibly, and suddenly to gather the righteous to Himself, to judge the wicked, and to make all things new. And as the people of God, we can say Amen to that. We look forward to that day. So I want to look at four things today to hopefully encourage you in your faith, to encourage you for what for what you guys may face. Um, I pray that you don't, but we don't know the future. Only God knows the future. But that's why He gave us that's why He gave us His Word. And so in Acts chapter one, um, so the so the first thing we're going to look at as far as His second coming, and I want you to find comfort in His coming. Okay, but the first thing. In regards to a second coming, we're going to look at just the reality of it. Just the reality of a second coming because you have many naysayers. Well, he hasn't come back, and so he's not going to come back. Many who mock. But just the reality of a second coming. In Acts chapter 1, I believe starting in verse 8, where, where, where Christ gave, uh, after instructing his disciples to wait for the promised Holy Spirit, right? Where they would receive power, where they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem. In Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth. He then ascended in a cloud out of their sight. And so the, the, the disciples were gazing intently into the sky. They watched Him go up. When two men, two angels in white clothing, stood beside them and said this, in Acts 1 verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. That's a promise. They saw him ascend, and the angel said, He's going to come back in just the same way. In other words, he's going to come back physically and visibly, just like he ascended, in the same resurrected body. 
Did you guys know there's always going to be a man sitting in heaven? The man Christ Jesus. His resurrected body. He's the first fruits. We're going to have our resurrected bodies. But you, it, it, in other words, he's going to come back with the same body that he, that he told Thomas. You remember when Thomas doubted that he had risen from the dead? In John chapter 20, verse 27, it's the same body that he, that he told Thomas. He said, Thomas, reach with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. So he's going to come back in that physical body, visibly, physically. And like I said just now, when he does return, beloved, we will all have a resurrected body, receive a resurrected body as well. What a, what a great joy that is to look forward to, especially those who may be suffering in their bodies. Our bodies are decaying, are they not? I mean, I've told our congregation that our bodies are like used cars. They just keep wearing out. Parts keep wearing out. But one day, we're going to receive a resurrected body. I like the words of Ray Comfort. He said, I have a body in heaven waiting, a resurrected body waiting, made for comfort. Now, that's he does. He, have a, he has a body made just for comfort. And I have a body made just for me. So I don't know. Does that mean I have a perfectly bald head or does that mean I have hair? I don't know, but it's going to be perfect. Listen to John 5, uh, 28, 29. It says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all, all, that means all people, everybody, who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds, representing a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer, those who have been born again, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. That's what we're anticipating. Those who committed evil deeds, the picture of the, the reprobate, the, the, the unbeliever, those who committed the evil deeds, they will, see, they will receive a resurrected body as well. But it says, a resurrection, they will be they will receive a resurrection of judgment. All those who, who harden their hearts towards Christ and neglect such a great salvation, they're going to be resurrected with a new body to be damned. And so, that's a sobering thought. But again, a, motiva a motivation for us to proclaim the gospel while we yet have time. To proclaim the good news. Because we don't want that for people. We want them to be reconciled to God. So first of all, just the, just the reality of it. That, that, that His second coming is a reality. And, it, and He's going to come physically and He's going to come visibly. Secondly, we'll see the suddenness of it. The suddenness of of His second coming. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24, we will hang out there for just a few moments. Matthew chapter 24. We'll look at verse 36 through 39. First of all. So we see the suddenness of it. The suddenness of His second coming. Verse 36 through 39. And Matthew 24 says this. 
But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So it says in this text that neither the angels nor Christ in His humanity... Christ was, He never gave up His deity, but at times He gave up certain prerogatives or privileges of His deity. So, so neither the angels nor Christ at that time in His humanity, nor any person ever, <coughs> obviously knows the day and hour. So the date setters, guys, beloved, the date setters are 100% wrong 100% of the time. No one knows the day or the hour. It talks about the days of Noah. We, we know from, from Peter telling us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah didn't just build a boat. He preached. He preached for 120 years. He was a preacher of righteousness. But they were unconcerned. The people were unconcerned. The people mocked him. The people were busy eating and drinking and, 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 and just these these. These things that aren't bad in and of themselves, but the flood came and swept them away. They were unconcerned. Here in Oklahoma, people are unconcerned. I don't know if they're like that in Taiwan like they are here, but they are unconcerned. They're more concerned about the weather forecast than they are about their soul. What would it profit a man if you gained the whole world? And lost your soul. People are so unconcerned. They were unconcerned in that day. They were comfortable in Noah's day. They were content in their everyday living. Which again, these things aren't bad in and of themselves, but but this everyday living that people are that, that people get absorbed in, they can become distractions to what's really important, and that's life and death and judgment. When you think about what the Apostle John says in 1 John 5.19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you realize that, guys? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That, that language means that picture the devil sitting in a rocking chair and rocking the world to sleep. And death approaches and judgment approaches, but they're not concerned. They're, obviously, they're dead in their sins. They're spiritually, they're spiritually dead. They have no care or desire about their own soul. And then judgment comes. Look at verse 42, still in Matthew 24. Again, we're, we're looking at the suddenness of it. In verses 42 through 44, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. Now look down at verse 50. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know. And then uh, just over 
one page, chapter 25, verse 13. We see it again. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. What is Jesus trying to communicate in these verses? It's very simple. To be alert, right? To be alert. To be prepared. I think it's the book of Amos where, he, where the prophet, he tells Israel, prepare to meet your God. And so that's what he's saying. Be alert. Be prepared. Be watchful. Be ready. That's what Christ is saying. Christ, Jesus Christ, His eschatology, when He talked about the things of the end, He had a point to be ready. To be ready. This is the track we hand out. That's what it says on the front. You guys see that? Are you ready? I think that's the greatest question you can ask an unbeliever. Are you ready? You guys you guys carry a cross out in your street evangelism? I can't remember. Yeah, see here? This is another thing our son made me. Are you ready? Right? That's that's the point of these verses. That that's that's the point. Christ Christ was always trying to 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 Call people to be on the alert, to be ready. And that's what we need to do. Are you ready? Flip over to 1 Thessalonians real quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to see a little bit more of this thief language that was in these verses that we looked at. 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, verses 2-4. through 4. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-4. Paul obviously um, was influenced by, by Christ's teachings here. He, he uses the same language here. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. So we see more thief language. What is the significance here of this language of coming like a thief? It's very simple. If a thief is going to rob your house, he's not going to give you a call a couple hours before and say, I'm going to be over at 8 o'clock, so you need to hide your valuables. Is he? No. You're not going to get a letter in the mail and say, I'll be there this Saturday night to uh, steal your possessions. No. The thief finds people, if he's a, if he's a good thief, or if he's a, if he's a, if he's a smart one, the thief finds people unprepared, right? They, they find them unprepared, and that's what Jesus and Paul is trying to communicate here. That people are going to be unprepared when Christ <coughs> returns to this earth. And so the language of the thief, the language of the thief, beloved, is it's true with respect to unbelievers, but not us as the people of God. Because look, look what it said in verse 4. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. 
As believers, we're not in darkness any longer, right? We have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We are not ignorant of these things. See, the coming of the Son of Man would not come like a thief for us because we desire Him to come. Do we we not? Oh, Lord! We, We anticipate that. We anticipate His coming. So we're not ignorant of these things. Why? Because we have, we have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. So Christ is now our life. We look forward to the day. We're no longer in darkness. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says this, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He, in other words, He has shown... Through, through, through the new birth, God has... He has showed us who Christ is. We have the light of Christ in us now. Ephesians 5.8, Paul says, For you were formerly darkness. That's a very sobering passage. Paul doesn't even say you were in darkness in Ephesians 5.8. He says, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We've had the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ revealed to us. And so now we're no longer in darkness. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, Be ready, servant of Christ, for your Master comes suddenly when an ungodly world least expects Him. It's going to be their worst nightmare if they're not in Christ. But as the people of God, we take comfort in the fact that Christ is going to return one day. He is going to return. He is going to make all things right on that day. He is going to avenge those who have been persecuted, those who have died for their faith. In Revelation 6, it says those who were martyred were near to the throne of God and they were saying, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? But... He will avenge. He loves His bride. And He will will avenge. And so we're ready. In other words, we as the people of God, we are ready. We are ready through through our conversion. We have have humbled ourselves before a holy God. We have trusted in Christ alone. We have entered through the narrow gate. We are not only have trusted in Christ, but we are continuing to trust in Christ, to hope in Christ. We know that we know that He's our only hope. We know that, like Peter said, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. He is our hope, and He is our life, and we're no longer in darkness. But, but, but unbelievers, it's a completely different story. They're, they're spiritually blind and and, and deceived by the devil, they're still in the darkness of sin and unbelief. And so it's going to come upon them like a thief. But not us, right? We're ready and we're waiting. Amen? If He came now, oh, we'd rejoice. It wouldn't be like a thief. We'd be like, our redemption is here finally, fully. Christ has come. And so there's only... There's only one thing that can help these people, right? There's only one thing that can help these people. There's a verse that I know you guys are very familiar with, Romans 
That's their only hope. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The Jew first and also to the, Jew, the Greek or the Gentile. And so all of this language of His coming and, and, and judgment should motivate us even more to go to our neighbor in love and say, be reconciled to God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. That's their only hope. And so we must take that message, which is such a blessing to see you guys taking that message to, the, to those who are perishing in Taiwan. So thirdly, about His second coming, we're going to see the universal knowledge of it when it happens. Okay, in Acts 1, we looked at Acts 1 a while ago, and it said He will come in the same way that, that He ascended, meaning, meaning He's going to come physically and visibly, but one thing's going to be different. All will see. All will see it. That's what the Scripture communicates. All will see. I don't understand how that's going to be, but that's what the Scripture clearly indicates. Turn to Luke chapter 21, and we'll see this in a few different places. But Luke 21 says, let's see, Luke 21 verses 25 through 27, and then verse 35. So Luke 21, verse 25 through 27, there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And in verse 35, For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. Not only will all see it, and we'll get back to that here in just a minute, not only will all see it, but notice what it says in verse 26 in Luke 21. Men, when this happens, at His second coming, it says, men fainting from fear at the expectation of what's taking place. Fainting from fear. Oh, all the mighty men, all of those who have, all of those who have persecuted the church of Jesus Christ, they're going to be fainting in fear. All of those who see Him who are not in Christ are going to be fainting in fear. Listen to Revelation 6, verses 15-17. through 17. We can see, again, more of, a, more of a zoom in of what this is going to look like when it says these, these people are fainting in fear. Listen to this language in Revelation 6, 15-17. Then the kings of the earth... So you have the mighty men... You have the powerful men. You have leaders like the leaders of communist China and other wicked tyrannical nations. The kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders. So you have the commanders of these wicked evil armies. And the rich, right? The rich, the mighty, the strong, those in Hollywood. The rich and the strong and every slave and every free man. So down to the common folks. Now, obviously, these are those who are not ready. These are those who the, the coming 
If Christ comes like a thief and finds them not ready, what, what happens to them? It says all these people hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and, and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Men fainting from fear on that day. Evil men. Evil men who maybe massacred God's people. Maybe found pleasure in trying to exterminate the, the church of Jesus Christ with their demonic, atheistic religion. They're going to faint in fear on that day. Malachi 3.2 says, But who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? If He was alive at that day, will Xi Jinping stand on that day? No, He won't. No, He will meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will bow His knee to the Lord Jesus Christ on that day. Be encouraged, beloved. Christ is a conquering King. Christ will conquer all of our enemies. What did He say? Vengeance is mine. Leave it, leave it to Christ. He will conquer. And all of the other tyrants who, 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 who is there, who's actually alive on that day, it says they will seek death. Something's got to be really frightening for somebody to seek death. But, but what happens? If, if you think about it, how, how deceptive sin is, what happens when an unbeliever seeks death? What happens when an unbeliever dies? The same result. It's been appointed for a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. They're still going to stand before Jesus Christ. Even those who seek death. And so back to the, the universal knowledge of it. In Revelation 1.7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who have pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it's a picture of, of the world mourning at the coming of Christ. It says all the tribes of the earth will mourn. This is going to be the most viewed event ever in history. <laughs> it's just amazing. How will that be? I don't know. But when Christ comes back, it says all will see. All, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Now, now the righteous, those who are born again, those who are God's children, those who are waiting on Him, waiting on their, their deliverer to come, those who have entered through the narrow gate, those who have been made poor in spirit, <coughs> those who have recognize their sin and have cried out to God to have mercy upon them, His children. If we do mourn, okay, if this is describing everybody, even a Christian, if there's any mourning from us on that day for God's children, it's going to be tears of joy, right? He's finally come. And I, and I would think that would be the, the more somebody is living under persecution, the greater the joy will be. That He's come. He's rescuing us. He's rescuing us. That's the point of the book of Revelation. 
Christ is a conquering king. Christ will put down his enemies. Do not fear, beloved. Do not fear, precious church in Taiwan. Don't fear what's coming. Okay? You're the apple of his eye. The church of Jesus Christ. You are whom he gave his life for, his sheep. Don't fear. Stay strong. Keep your, keep your gaze upon Christ. Because if you're going to mourn on that day, it's going to be tears of joy. United to our Lord, the One who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age. It's finally a reality. What a blessed hope that is for the, for the child of God. But the wicked, the wicked including all of the unrighteous, wicked rulers and kings who refuse to acknowledge Christ as King. They, on that day, they will mourn. But it won't be tears of joy. They will be mourning over their fate. They know that this reality has come, that they are doomed to an eternal hell. Even China's leader, as powerful as he may be this day, if he does not repent, and bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Now he will bow then as judge. So 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 pray for his salvation. And just know that Christ is king. He is the only king. He is the king of kings. And and like Nahum says, prophet Nahum, the Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. And this will be his final day of vengeance that he will take on his adversaries who have persecuted his people. And we know from the Apostle Paul, his encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting the church, but Jesus took it personal. He said, no, you're persecuting me. So when wicked rulers persecute God's people, they're persecuting Christ Himself. And so just know that Jesus Christ has you in His eye and you are precious to Him. You are precious to Him. And then lastly, lastly, fourthly, Christ's second coming, which I hope you can find comfort in, beloved. The finality of it. The finality of it. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Here, Matthew 25. If you guys are familiar with the, the sheep, the account of the sheep and the goats, we're just going to look at the finality of it, the finality of a second coming. Matthew 25, verse 31-46. through And so don't be confused with this language. You're going to see um, the righteous being described as just doing good works. Okay, this is not teaching salvation by works. We know that the Bible is very clear. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But the works just represent those who are God's people. The works are a result of their salvation. That's all that's being communicated here. It's not teaching how a man is justified. So Matthew 25, 31-46. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to him, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. When Christ comes back and He judges the nations, it's final. It's, it's over. In other words, history as we know it will be wrapped up. Everyone will be there on that day, beloved. Everyone will be there on that day. All the nations. China's leaders will be there on that day. This is, this is the end of human history as we know it. The end of what the Bible says, the end of this present evil age and the start of the, of the age to come. The new heavens and the new earth. And so what is the point of all of this? What is the point of all of this? When, you, when, you, when we think about the second coming of Christ, what's the point of this? Is the point to argue about it? How it's all going to play out? All the little details. And we're, and we're to argue with one another. We're to argue on Facebook. No, that has nothing to do with it. The point is very simple. Are you ready? Be ready. That's the point. Always, always with, with Jesus Christ. And again, when He, when he taught eschatologists the, the last things, it was always with a point of be ready, be prepared. So the first thing you ask yourself is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you personally ready? Have you entered through that narrow gate? Have you trusted in Christ alone? And are you trusting in Christ alone? Have you repented of your sin? Are you continually following after Christ, which is evidence of the new birth? Are you born again? Have you passed from death to life? Do you now love the things that God loves and hate the things that He hates? Have you been made new? Have you cried out to God in faith and trust? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
If not, what's the command, right? Repent and believe the gospel. Believe the good news that Christ is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Believe that He was who He said He was. God the Son, the Creator, came and was manifested in the flesh. God in the flesh. That He lived a perfect life in our place that we could never live. And that He suffered at the hands of godless men, which was predetermined before the foundation of the world, that He would do so, that He would be nailed to a cross where He would suffer the wrath of God for all of those who would believe and repent. And that He would rise again from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. So the command is always the same. Always the same. Repent and believe the Gospel. For the believer... What is the point of all this? For the believer. Okay? For the believer. That's this is where I want you to just... I hope you can find comfort in the reality of a second coming, especially with what you... the precious church in Taiwan could be facing. This could get really, really, really applicable to your life. Because that, that, that's who he was writing to. People suffering under wicked, powerful governments. And so for the believer, His second coming is our hope. It is our hope. And, and thinking about it, thinking about His second coming. I think, as, I think just as, as the church as a whole, I don't think we think about it enough. I think we... Sometimes we're scared to think about it because we, we think, well, I don't understand everything about it. Understand this, beloved, that you should find comfort in it. That's why it was written. To comfort you. To comfort me. And so the second coming is our hope. And, and, and thinking about it and anticipating it purifies us. Did you know that? Did you know that, that meditating on and thinking about setting your hope on the second coming of Christ actually purifies you. It's, it's one of the means of God's sanctification in our lives. And we see that in 1 John 2. Um, we're, we're about to close. We're about to finish. But 1 John, or 1 John 3. 1 John chapter 3. Verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> 1 John 3. Verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what will be. We know that when He appeared, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself. As He is pure. His second coming is our hope, beloved. It, it, it's our hope. We anticipate it. And, and, and just thinking about it and setting your hope on His, on His return, God uses to purify you. To make you more like Christ. To draw you nearer and, and to more intimate fellowship with Christ when we meditate on that reality. That He is coming. He is coming and it's going to be a, a, a horrible day of judgment for those who are not ready, but for those who are ready, there will be nothing greater than we've ever experienced. 
when, when our, our salvation will be, it'll be complete. We'll be, we will be with Him. And obviously that's going to happen at death or in a second coming. But I, but I just wanted to comfort you with these words today that if you, by God's providence, face a, a, a wicked or, or an invasion of a, of a wicked tyrannical government, know this, that Christ is on His throne. Okay, he is, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And He will come to your rescue. He will come to your rescue. And, and, and what does Paul say? To live as Christ and to die as gain. To live as Christ and to die as gain. So, so fix your hope on Him, beloved. Fix your hope on Christ. When persecution comes, fix your hope on Christ. Fix your hope on Christ. This world, be reminded that this world is not our home. This world is not your home. You guys live in Taiwan. I live in America and Oklahoma, but this is not our home. Okay? This is not our home. So if, so if China invades Taiwan, this, it's not your home anyway. You're passing through. It's temporary. Life is a mist. To live as Christ, to die is gain. And I want to close with this last verse and then I'll pray for us. Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. So take, take heart, beloved. Christ is on the throne to live as Christ, to die as gain. Set your hope on Him and be comforted with those truths. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that as Your people that we can find comfort even in judgment language because it's your enemies you judge. It's your enemies you take vengeance on. Nahum tells us that you are a jealous God, that you will not share your glory with another. That you are a jealous God when, when wicked leaders afflict your people. And, and you're, a, you're a patient God, but your patience will run out. And we know that that's why you haven't come back. Your Word tells us that you're a patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so you are, you're a patient God, but one day your patience will end. But Father, we can even find comfort in that because we're safe in Christ. Father, I just, I just pray, God, that Lord, my words are, are uh, my words are meaningless, Father, apart from your Spirit. <clears throat> Lord, I, I just pray that you will take, Father, the, the words that I've tried to communicate, Lord, and, and apply them to your, your people's hearts and minds, and they will be encouraged by your sovereign care over them. That they'll be encouraged when we think about those who have come before us, when we think about the Apostle Paul and all he suffered, and we think about John the Baptist. 
When we think about all these godly ones that have come before us and the fact that they're with you. That some of them had their heads taken off. Some of them were crucified. So Peter was crucified upside down. Tortured. But, but Paul says none of it's even be worthy to be compared to what awaits us. So Lord, it's hard for us to it's hard for us to apply these things when life is comfortable, Lord. But I just pray, God, by your grace, by your supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you will that you will apply these texts to your dear precious saints in Taiwan right now, Lord. That they will that they will chew on these truths, Lord. That no matter what happens, no matter how wicked of a ruler they face. And Lord, we pray, we pray that they don't have to go through that, Lord. But that if they do, that this life is a mist, that Christ is on His throne, and that there is no King but Jesus Christ. So Father, comfort them by Your grace. Comfort them by Your Spirit, Lord. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.